Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. And here's the queen herself, registered dietitian Heather Klug. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. Hi, Heather. Hi, Bethany. So Bethany DeBrew Adams is with us today. She is our health communication coordinator. That I am. Also known as the Princess of Hearts. Ooh. Or maybe should I call you co-queen, Bethany? Oh, I like it. As is, If there's a tiara involved, you can call me whatever, as Ooh. long as I can wear a wow. tiara. I will get you a tiara. I'm holding you to that. I think we should both wear a tiara. I think next oh, time. definitely, definitely. <laughs> All right, everyone. So June is Pride Month. Yay! And it's a time for people to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community. Even though, you know, we talk about all the great things that the LGBTQ community has done and is doing in the world, we also figured it would be a time for us to touch on something that people might not think about too much, and those are the specific risk factors and heart health issues that women in this particular um, community tend to face. Yeah, that sounds like a great topic to discuss. Yeah, and... I just want to say, because we're going to be talking um, about a community that um, some of the terminology is kind of in transition um, at times, and we're we're doing our very best to use all the proper current mm-hmm. terminology. Yeah. Um, I apologize in advance for us if we slip and use an outdated term or whatever. We're trying to be as respectful as we possibly can, yes. but we're not perfect, so we apologize in advance if we make a mistake here or there. Yeah, so you mentioned that the LGBTQ plus community faces kind of unique heart, heart risks, correct? Right. Um, compared to their heterosexual peers. Right, their heterosexual and cisgender peers. So lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults have a higher risk of having markers for poor heart, heart health such as high blood pressure and high cholesterol, which Hmm. is kind of interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we know because we work in this area that high blood pressure increases the risk of, obviously, heart disease and heart attack. Right. But also stroke and vascular dementia, too. Sure. That makes sense. And also, a 2019 study from the journal Circulation found that transgender men and women were either twice or four times more likely to experience a heart attack compared with cisgender men and women. Okay, so that's a wow. bit alarming. Yeah, that's, you know, that doesn't sound maybe quite alarming. Right. <laughs> At it's the a onset, small but number it, it sounds yeah. like, but it's a big deal. Right, but you know what that reminds me of? Hmm. Um, there's a statistic for people with diabetes. So if you have diabetes, you're at a two to four times higher risk for also having a heart attack Woo, yeah. or a stroke. So in this way, it's almost kind of similar to having diabetes, which is right. a risk factor for heart disease. Right. It's kind of I almost like wonder if one day this will be a risk factor. Right, maybe too. yeah. As yeah. we kind of move forward and learn more about these yeah. issues. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Yeah. You know? And why is that the case? Well, there's a, no, a number of factors that can impact heart health in this community. And some some of them, when you hear them, you'll kind of be like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. LGBTQ people may face unique obstacles and stressors that, you know, the rest of us don't have to deal with mm-hmm. just because of who they are. So these kind of things include bullying and harassment. Yeah, um, that one... I mean, we could probably all think, I can think back to childhood, like oh, yeah. middle school, high school for sure, yep. of certain people who got bullied and harassed. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, just, or even into adulthood, you hear stuff on, you know, in the news about that, too. It's still happening. Sure. And even just using, you know, gay as like a slang derogatory comment yeah. for people, you know, commentary. Right. Um, within their own families, they may experience a lack of love, safety, care, uh, acceptance. Sure. You know, so, yes, there's a lot of good families out there, mm-hmm. you know, but there's also for, I'm sure, for every understanding and accepting family there's a troublesome family as well there's plenty of those stories where there's some people who are kicked out of the family or they're not welcome to things exactly Mm -hmm. and then there's the discrimination that lgbtq plus people may face in the workplace and in social arenas like trying to marry or trying to adopt children or have their own children these are areas where Judgment is sometimes passed and discrimination happens. Right, right. I mean, I'm hoping, based on what just happened a couple days ago here in the United States, Mm -hmm. that there's some progress being made in that area, at least in the workplace. Sure. Um, The U.S. Supreme Court just passed a landmark decision. Yes, they did. To prohibit discrimination based on sex. And this extends to LGBTQ people who face job bias arising from their sexual orientation or gender identities. So both of those are important. That's huge. Yeah, I'm hopefully that this will hopefully lead to more equality in the workplace. Right. We can always hope. It's an imperfect system that you know, we're working within right. for these kinds of but things. It so it sounds like progress, at least. Definitely. And, you know, fighting these types of issues is really important because LGBTQ people are almost twice as likely as heterosexual and cisgender people to have anxiety or depression. Well, I can imagine so, based on all those things <laughs> exactly. we were just talking right? about. and. In previous podcasts, last month was Mental Health Awareness Month. Right. We did several podcasts on um, things like depression and anxiety and different ways to kind of manage that. Right, right? because it does impact mm-hmm. your physical body as yes. well. Right. Yeah. yeah, so if you missed that, you can go back and listen to those. <laughs> but the gist is that the stress hormones from that go on to affect your heart. They even can stiffen your arteries. Exactly, right? exactly. And then... We've all, we also talked about how mental illness can lead to unhealthy lifestyle choices, yeah, especially well, if you're trying to kind of calm yourself. Well, I bet if soothe. you're trying to, yeah, like self-soothe yourself from facing this kind of stuff day to day, I would right. bet you might turn to things that maybe aren't as healthy for you to feel yeah, better. Unfortunately, um, research has shown, for example, that lesbians use tobacco more often than heterosexual women. Hmm. Um, heavy drinking and binge drinking are more common among lesbians compared to other women as well. Yeah. And we know, you know, while one drink a day has been said that it's good for your heart, you know, Mm -hmm. there's now studies coming out saying that it's not and alcohol is kind of its own animal. Yeah. In fact, next week we're going to do a podcast on alcohol in your heart. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. we are. So So we'll we'll talk about that more. We'll deep dive into (laughs) the alcohol. But we know in general for most people, moderation is okay, which is small amounts, but in large amounts for anybody, it can affect your heart. But if you're already at a higher risk, you can see where this would be especially damaging for 
um, lesbian women, exactly. as we were just discussing. Exactly. And one of the other issues um, is that research shows that lesbians are more likely to be overweight or obese hmm. compared with heterosexual women. Okay. Um, and they've seen kind of, the studies have shown that there's a lack of exercise and a tendency for a more unhealthy diet with a lot of lesbian women. I'm not exactly sure why that yeah, is. that is interesting. I don't know if it's, a, you know... Sometimes when one thing slides, yeah, a couple things slide, exactly, right? Exactly, right? I <laughs> yeah. don't I don't know that. That from is experience. interesting though. Okay. <laughs> and then when we talk about the transgender community, um, they kind of have a whole other set of issues. You know, they're they're a marginalized minority. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're dealing with obviously all of the above stressors, but if you add in the gender-affirming hormone therapy that mm. many transgender people choose to undergo, um, they're going to face some other risk factors as well. I would imagine anytime you're dealing with hormones. Yes, we are women. <laughs> we're cisgender women here, yeah. and we know that we how can... hormones affect us. Right, right. So imagine introducing new hormones that your body is not used to. Yeah. And that's where things can get kind of complicated. So what are these other unique risks that transgender people face? Well, I should explain for those who aren't familiar, the um, gender-affirming hormone therapy is done to align secondary sex characteristics. Um, So like if you're transitioning to be a female, for example, you're going to want to suppress the male yes. hormones and right. amplify the femaleness. Right. So, for example, lifelong treatment in transgender males obviously is going to be testosterone mm-hmm. because as cisgender women were born with testosterone, but it's much not, smaller amounts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, transgender females receive estrogen. But they also um, typically receive something, and this is a big, long name, and I apologize in advance if I butcher it. It's gonadotropin-releasing hormone analog. You did it. Woohoo! Great job. Okay, good me. Good job, <laughs> me. Um, or they receive an anti-androgen. And what that does is it helps suppress male characteristics. Oh, sure. So, so they're not getting facial hair. Exactly. They're not having baldness male and, pattern baldness. Okay. And that also helps to uh, enhance the feminine characteristics sure. that the estrogen is going yeah, to that makes give sense. them. Okay. So when we talk about these gender-affirming hormone therapies – A lot of these studies are very new, Mm -hmm. and most of them have been meta-analysis that were done, um, and if you care to explain what a meta-analysis is. Yeah, like a meta-analysis, sometimes they will group similar studies together and Mm -hmm. then analyze that as a whole, and then they will look for patterns with that or correlations with it, because... Um, it's especially helpful if you do have studies that are smaller in nature, right? Right. Because yeah. it's it's hard. I would imagine with this community, you know, you're talking smaller numbers of people, right? Right. So, and they may not all live in the same area where the research is being done. Exactly. So I can see this is where a meta analysis would be helpful, right? And it's mm-hmm. also, you know, I. I think people need to understand that doing a fully controlled study can be very difficult because mm-hmm. it's going to mean you have to control what people are eating and the activities that they're doing and things like yeah. that. So there's factors that in a meta-analysis you can't really adjust for. Yeah. So most of the information they were able to adjust, obviously, for age. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the primary thing they were looking at. And they yeah. found that 
Transgender females have a higher risk of cardiovascular and ischemic events um, than cisgender females do. Okay. So transgender females appear to be at a higher risk of having an ischemic stroke, and those are the types of strokes that are associated with a clot or blockage in the brain. They're Mm -hmm. the most common types of strokes that we hear people having, compared with a cisgender population. Um, The risk is most evident in people who've used the estrogen therapy a lot longer. Okay. I can see that making sense. Yeah. I mean, I think I've read about that before too with postmenopausal women sometimes I think it depends sure. on the women but the longer you're on that I think the higher your risk for maybe having a stroke is right and the interesting thing is that transgender men do not appear to have increased risk in the area of ischemic huh. stroke it is so, interesting I would think that testosterone would increase your risk but okay I guess not maybe not you know is does blood pressure have anything to do with this at all? Yeah, either, it's Bethany? Because that's usually a huge risk factor for strokes. Right, and for heart disease as well. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that because it was found that gender-affirming hormone therapy appeared to raise blood pressure in both trans- transgender men and women, mm-hmm. but studies are inconsistent. So the fluctuations, they're not sure if it has to do with the hormones themselves or if it has to do with the person's age or if it has to do with how long they've been on the hormones. It's kind of a gray area at this point. Yeah, they probably still need to do more research on this. It's it's still kind of newer, like you said. Right, and we have to think about like – even just for cisgender women to be included in medical studies <laughs> is a pretty relatively that's recent tr- event. That's true. That took quite a yeah. while for that to even happen. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, to have transgender people brought into the conversation as well, it's definitely necessary, but I think it's kind of taking a, a while for that to happen. Or even just that, you know, heart disease is the number one cause of death in women. How long did that take before it was really exactly. common knowledge? I think we're still educating. Yeah, that's why we're here. People on that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, transgender women are 80 to 90% more likely to have a heart attack than cisgender women. What? And that's not true for transgender men. What? 80 to 90 percent. 80 to 90 percent. What? That's huge. Yeah. Wow. It's a big, it's a big scary number. It is. And I think there's a fear that this big scary number would scare people away from having this hormonal therapy. But I think the common um, school of thought is that there's ways that they can mitigate this. Yeah. You know, even though it's a big number, it's a small number, if that okay. makes any sense. Yeah. It's kind of what I was reading about it. Okay. So, well, I would hope too that if someone is in that position and they've been told that they do have a higher risk for heart disease, like that much higher of a risk, I would hope they're being followed very closely. Right. Or it's recommended that they maybe you know, do certain things with lifestyle, right? Exactly. So those things we were talking about before, if you haven't been eating as healthy, hey, this might now be a really good time for you to start doing that. Or right. can we get some more movement in? You know, let's look at some of these lifestyle things exactly. so that we really can keep your risk for heart disease down. Right. And I think also the important thing to remember is that many of the people who are going through this gender confirmation 
um, with the hormone therapy and even moving forward into surgical intervention and things like that, they're going to have a doctor who's well-skilled and well-versed in this area and they're going to be with them every step of the way and so they're going to be sure to talk about risk factors and all of that so that they're monitoring those issues yeah as the with every step of the progress it's not like you don't wake up one day and this is something you're going to walk into the doctor's office and have done all right so there's the benefit of that kind of we can monitor this and make sure that you're going to stay as healthy as you can. Yeah, yeah. And if it's not happening, if that's you in that situation or someone you know and love, you know, tell them they need to advocate for themselves. Ask about these things. And if you can't, if you feel you can't advocate for yourself, there are resources, and we'll talk a little bit at the end of the um, podcast today about where you Mm -hmm. can look to find an advocate who can go with you and be there with you to help ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we know that one of the last things that impact the healthcare of the LGBTQ community is disparities in the health within the healthcare system itself. Sure. Okay. Like what kind of disparities are those? Well, we know that LGBTQ people tend to have less access to care and that can mean anything from they're less likely to have health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, they're less likely to fill prescriptions that they well, receive. You don't have health insurance. Exactly. It's kind of hard to get a prescription, maybe even. Or right? if you do get a prescription and you don't have insurance and you can't afford to fill it. Yeah, you know? that's true too. Um, they're more likely to delay getting care and or they might use the ER for care, which again, yeah. if you don't have health insurance. That's where you go. That's where you go. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that really kind of bugs me. They're more yeah. likely to be refused healthcare services and or harassed by a healthcare provider. Mm. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know. And disturbing. Yeah. I, I think about the times just where. It's on a common level of humanity, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like there have been times where I've had interactions with doctors where I've felt dismissed and I felt disrespected and, and you feel really powerless in that yeah. situation. So, I'm sure if this happens on a, you know, each time you try to go in and see a healthcare professional, yeah. it's going to make you less likely to go back. Right, right. Um, I would imagine there are other disparities too, even within like the healthcare system. Like, let's say you're even in it and you yep. have health insurance, right? Right. I'm sure so, there's other issues there. Yeah. And a lot of what we see is a lack of specific education and training for healthcare workers. There's, like we just talked about, a lack of clinical research on LGBTQ plus health-related issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Restrictive health benefits due to you reporting as LGBTQ plus to your health insurance company. There's limited role models of people out there who are doing the right thing, I think. Right. And there's just a fear due to the stigma and discrimination and institutional bias within the healthcare system. And... Institutional bias is something we're hearing a lot about lately Mm -hmm. between um, the coronavirus and the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. We're hearing a lot more about health disparities, about bias, about inherent issues with the systems that we have built. Right. And so... I think more and more healthcare organizations, at least hopefully, Mm -hmm. will be doing what we see. We're part of the Advocate Aurora system, and we've seen 
things already starting to be put into motion. We have had inherent bias training. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking that the more you deal with patients, the more you know you're a doctor, the more yeah. higher up you are in the professional realm, I guess you're going to have more sensitivity training, yeah. hopefully more like role-playing activities in yeah. medical school and things like that. Right. right. Well, I know they're documenting too if you come in as a patient in um, your electronic health systems mm-hmm. record, right? They're asking what you like to be preferred or how right. you like to be called. Exactly. You know? So, I, you know, the pronouns that things are that being used. Things that people think so are that's, very little and minute right. can make a big difference. But for somebody from the LGBTQ plus community, that can make a huge difference. Right. Like, oh, you see me as this and that's okay. And, and you right. respect me. I mean, maybe this. your stress hormones go down <laughs> then, right? Hopefully. Like, it's Hopefully. probably going to be a better interaction, right? Hopefully. When, and we yeah. definitely, you know, we strive, at least within the Karen Yon Center, to um, be inclusive and mm-hmm. to be open-minded and to learn as much as we possibly can so that we can help as many people as we possibly can. So if you're listening out there and there's information that you want to give to us on this topic or whatever, you can always contact us through our Facebook page or you can contact us through our website as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we welcome any feedback. Of course we do because we are not members of this community ourselves so, and we recognize that we are giving an opinion as people who are outside, not mm-hmm. within the community. Yeah. So we welcome all information we can get, I guess. Yes. And to put this out there for people who are listening, if you're looking for resources, um, for health resources within the state of Wisconsin in particular, um, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services has a great page with a lot of excellent information on places you can go Everything from mental health resources to physical health resources, um, things like that. It's www.dhs.wisconsin.gov forward slash LGBT health. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Well, we hope we've shown a light on the unique heart health issues for LGBTQ plus women. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening today, everyone. And as we always say, be the ruler of your own heart. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, info, recipes, and more, Visit our website at www.karenyantcenter.org, like us on Facebook at Karen Yant Center, and follow us on Pinterest. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our show and be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, ladies, be ruler of your own heart.